What if you could live your life judgment-free? Are you ready to live the unapologetic, confident life God designed for you? Then this is the place to be. Welcome to the Bold, Brave, and Sassy Show. It's time to break free of physical, spiritual, and heart-centered challenges that have held you back for way too long. Listen in for fun and powerful tips and tools to help you break free today. Hear from our leading experts, along with me, Annie Berryhill, your host and personal guide to freedom. Now it's time to live like no one's judging. Let's go. Hey there, everybody. This is Annie Berryhill, and welcome to the Bold, Brave, and Sassy Show. I am very excited and thrilled and honored that you are listening to the show today. This has been a labor of love and pure delight for me, and I hope that you hear that in what we're going to be talking about today with my very special guest, Dr. Barbara Lowe. And before Dr. Barbara and I jump in and start chatting away about our very important and, well, I think life-changing topics, I want to tell you a little bit about her. So Dr. Barbara Lowe has a passion for working with women to bring them into the light so that they can embrace their fully fabulous and beautifully flawed selves. She is a psychologist, life coach, and somatic experiencing practitioner, which I'm going to have her describe because I'm not really sure what that is. (laughs) And she's been fortunate enough to witness women make powerful transformations every day. So as I mentioned, her credentials include she's a licensed psychologist in North Carolina, a psychological practice founder and owner, life coach, somatic experiencing practitioner, EMDR practitioner, researcher, educator, and lay minister. You're the real deal, lady. You're the real deal. (laughs) Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much for being on the show. So, so glad to be here with your bold and brave and sassy self. (laughs) (laughs) God made me this way. I just can't help it, but thank you. (laughs) Well, it's fun because I get to have a lot of bold, brave, and sassy ladies on the show as well. So it's exciting. It's fun. I'm glad you're here today. And as we were you know, catching up and talking before the show, you were filling me in on some really exciting things that are starting to bubble up and materialize for you. And I think it's a it's going to be really important for you to be able to share that and maybe even yeah. flesh, some, flesh some things out as we're talking. So you've worked primarily in private practice. Is that, is that how you kind of got started on this? Well, I have a private practice. We've been open about six and a half years. We have a team of about uh, 15 employees, most of whom are clinicians. Mm -hmm. And so I own that practice. And within the practice, I do see uh, children, adolescents, and adults. And so I do that. I've also worked in the schools. And my training is actually in school psychology, my original training. And um, so I'm trained in assessment. I have um, a a whole bunch of subspecialties. But I have gotten a lot of training over time in this area of trauma and overcoming trauma. And the Lord has really put on my heart that um, this mission to help women with overcoming trauma and uh, this mission to help women who have these stuck places in their lives where they're wondering, where's the life I dreamed of, Mm. right? So often women can be, maybe they even have from the outside and from their Instagram feed, they might even have it all. Mm. They might have the job, the, the, you know, the career, the education, the children, the husband, uh, 
the house, but then on the inside, something's really missing. Or maybe there's someone who is um, thought by now, you know, I'm 29. I thought by now I would be married or 35 or, you know, I thought I would have kids. And so this, this idea of where's the life I dreamed of and how to get that. And the Lord's given me some ways to, for people to access that through changes on the inside. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, once we change some things on the inside, then we can also change some things on the outside. It's so interesting because it's a parallel path in some ways for you and I, because I've always been in nutrition and fitness. And one of the things that led me to working more with a specific and similar population of people who are coming from sort of a broken place inside was that so many times I would have a nutrition client who was working so hard to make their body a certain way. But in reality, when we started doing the work, we discovered that there was brokenness inside that was driving that behavior, driving that desire to at least be perfect on the outside or control something that they could because inside they were a mess, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I work a little, I work somewhat with, or sometimes I work with folks with eating disorders. I think I probably have at any given time, three to five uh, women who are in my caseload with eating disorders. And we are always going back to the past and working on usually attach, attachment ruptures yeah. with uh, with primary caregivers from the past. And, you know, that makes me think about myself. I, uh, this past weekend, I went home or, um, or to my mother's previous house, my, my previous, <laughs> let's see, my deceased mother's house. Okay. And I uh, haven't been back there that many times. And my stepdad has a new partner who lives with him in the house and she had redecorated the house. And, uh, there was this, I knew that something was getting to me and I could tell that I was thinking about food a lot. Mm -hmm. And I really, I took, actually took the day yesterday to really process that I was grieving the felt sense of the felt sense of home that wasn't there anymore, that the home was that my mother's home had, was gone yeah. and that there wasn't much space even when I went there to, to talk about her and no one did anything wrong. Um, you know, there was nothing malicious or anything like that. It's just that I needed to take the space to process what was going on and my flesh or my, my, um, you know, my, my body, my mind wanted to do some emotional eating around that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not that I have huge struggles with that, it, but it's just an interesting phenomenon. And I can imagine a time in the past where I wouldn't have dealt with that, but tried to push it back. Instead, I gave myself the luxury of having a day yesterday where I really allowed myself to feel the feels mm -hmm. and it was exactly what I needed. And to me, that's self-care. It is. And I think it's interesting because it's a similar thing that I think I've learned to do in, in that you know, you have these feelings that, you know, I always say like I'm running along and all of a sudden I trip over a shadow. Like, why did I even trip? What, what even tripped me up? It's the same thing you're saying. Like, why all of a sudden do I walk in this house and I have this unsettled feeling or something that just isn't in the flow of, you know, feeling good and just everything's yay. And, and you have to stop and look at it. And I think a lot of times people avoid looking at it because it feels bad, but I don't want to feel bad. And I know that there are ways to resolve that if we are brave enough and we have a bit of instruction to say, what is driving this? What's at the root of this? What's 
you know, poking this, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what you did. And I don't, I mean, you use the word luxury. I don't think it's a luxury. I think it's a necessity that we are continually checking ourselves. It's that, that feeling of like, you can drift off. So that rocket ship that's going to the moon, if he's off by one degree, he's going to completely miss the moon because over time that one degree gets you way, 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 way off track. So exactly, you know, flying to the moon is that constant reorienting, reorienting. And I think that's what we're doing. That's what you were doing. Hey, hey, oh, what is that? What? Oh yeah, now I want to eat. Whoa, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. But you, you understood that there was something driving that. Whereas a lot of people who don't have the tools or don't recognize that's going on, would just give into the eating. Right. There's a, yes. And there's another piece of that. And that is that when we came back on Monday, we had uh, a, like a ministry group to lead that night. And so I knew that I, I knew that there was something I needed to process. I could feel it kind of bubbling up. But I knew that I had to be on that night. And so a skill that I like to teach folks is, is sometimes we do have to be on. Some, you know, we, we, we can't just give ourselves the luxury of processing at any time mm-hmm. unless we just had a recent tragic grief and then you have to. But if it's something that, uh, that you can table for a little bit, what I do is um, or what I tell folks to, to do is to say, I'm going to say on the inside of yourself, hi, sweetie, I hear you, I see you, it's time to take a nap, and we'll talk later, and the key is that you do need to come back later, Mm -hmm. so, and that way we can stay functional, we can continue to do what we need to do, and, and then come back to that thing, and I, I, frankly, I have to do that as a psychologist, you know, being, I have to be on, I have to be exquisitely present for others, you know, eight hours a day. And so, but life happens um, in the process of having my practice. Um, let's see, right before I started, I, I, one of my parents died. I had another parent die. I had another significant loss in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and so we continue to practice and be there and show up for others, even in the process of needing to show up for ourselves. And we need to balance balance that. And, and that's, that's key to staying productive. Another key to staying productive is I, I, I tell my clients often, I'm not going to have you just lay down in a bed of suffering. But what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to have the courage to turn around and face ourselves. But we're going to kind of do this teetottering thing where we're going to face ourselves and feel some of the pain. And then we're going to add in some of the what I call resources, some of the feel good, some of the, the, um, some of the good memories or uh, enhance some of the, uh, the positive spaces that we can develop within ourselves using psychological tools and somatic experiencing tools. And so we, um, we kind of teetotter this and it's like we're moving along into healing and it's not quite as scary as what the thought of laying down in a bed of suffering and feeling all the feels feels like. It's funny too, because as you were saying this, I I like it so much because I have been notoriously for most of my life, I've been a very black and white person. You know, you're either Mm -hmm. this end or this end of the spectrum. And what you described was rolling around in the muck and the mire of your feelings, right? As you look at them and admit and accept and see them for what they are or completely turn them off, which Mm -hmm. is also not good. Because you can't live in either end all the time and actually, like you said, be productive. So I love that tip of that middle ground of saying, hey there, honey, 
yeah, yeah, we got to do this other thing right now. And I haven't forgotten about you and you're very important to me. And this is a very important thing for us to tackle, which is right now I need to focus on this. We're going to table it and I'll come back. I promise. <laughs> and I love yeah. that because that it, it isn't giving up. It isn't giving in and it's giving you a roadmap or, or a guide and saying, we are going to do this just not right at this minute. So then you can go and function and focus on the things that you need to do where you need to be on. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think of it as a couple of different things. I think of it as self-leadership and, and I think of it as building capacity within our own selves, our heart, our mind, our body. And I also think about it as building a, a, a functional home within ourselves for many of us, we didn't have that growing up and we want to build that within ourselves with, with a functional mom part of self and a functional father part of self. And for me, I use father God a lot in that space. Uh, so it's powerful. It's powerful to develop that which wasn't there growing up and giving ourselves that and allowing that. It, it really is reparative, especially if we allow ourselves, as, if we continue to treat ourselves that way over and over and over. And I, and I think too, you know, we've talked offline and, you know, we did your show together and we've talked about a lot of stuff together that the audience hasn't heard. But from my story, the, you know, being so angry with my dad and, and being resentful and all these things. And I like what you said in there is finding the, the good stories to add to, you know, the work and the hard stuff that you're facing, because I can now, because I have worked through so many of my resentments and my disappointments and all these things to, to actually have a lot of compassion for him because for him to be the way he was meant that he was living, living with a ton of pain that he didn't have any tools or anybody to help him to release. And I've been blessed to have had options and resources that have helped to teach me along the way how to work through those things. It's not been quick. It's not been easy, but it's been progressive. And I can look back and say all of those things yeah. contributed to the progress and where I am. But that compassion for the person who may have hurt you or disappoint you, left you, you know, died early. You know, I have friends that that has happened and it's really made an impact. So I wanted to take just a little bit of a pivot here because something that you said in the beginning really weighs heavy on my heart. And I think it's very much a spiritual issue and it's very much a psychological result as well. And that's this, this trauma. And I'm not going to ever say that there's not a man that doesn't go through trauma, but they go through trauma in different ways and for different reasons. And one of the things, this is pretty heavy actually, is, is this, it's just overwhelms me sometimes to think how much women are actually hurt and taken advantage of and traumatized um, because they are women, because they are girls. So what are you, what are you able to do within your toolbox to help women to really resolve and be free of the effects of those traumas? What are some things that you found, you have found with your clients and in your, in your practice that have helped? Sure. Um, can I first address a, a gender, uh, sure. something interesting that I was just talking with a colleague yesterday and we were talking about research by, I think it's Shelly Taylor, uh, where she found that women, so in the face of trauma, men are more inclined to fight or flight. But in the face of trauma, women are more inclined to appease or freeze. Right. 
which is interesting. Uh, so we, we were even talking about uh, with this colleague is a faculty member for the Somatic Experiencing Institute. And so she's basically guru. <laughs> and we were talking about, she's also a licensed clinical social worker, I believe, but Ariel uh, G. I'm not going to try to pronounce her last <laughs> name. I think I messed it up. Uh, but we were talking about sometimes women, even on dates, can I talk about a, 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 a heavy subject on here? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. We're getting so she, free here. So we got to talk okay. about heavy stuff to get them out. Right. Okay. All right. Good. So she, she talked about sometimes women even will be on a date and not want to have sex and feel the expectation of wanting to have sex. And rather than dealing with that conflict, they will have sex rather than say, I don't want to, because they think, because of this appeasing way, nature, this appeasing way that we are, have been raised. And then there can be, after that, a felt sense of being, of being violated in a way. Uh, so, so we need to be careful and, and be thoughtful and also be generously self-validating self, uh, that, that, that we've been raised to be appeasing. And so sometimes we find ourselves in scenarios where we have done things against our values or where we have been in a, in a situation where we didn't fight or flight, but froze or appeased that was traumatic and understand why we did that, that a lot of us do that, that that is societal. So I think that's an interesting piece to, to bring to the table and, and help women understand. Um, I've worked with women that have at times continued to put themselves in a, a similar scenario for something to continue to happen over and over again. And it's this dynamic, this dynamic. We also have women who are fighters. And I have to say, I've been more of that. Me too. I'm totally uh, a fighter. So I'm totally a fighter. So I, so I think I'm a little bit different as far as how how gender norms go. And I've had to learn to, to tamp that down, but it also helped me survive. And the alcoholic home that I grew up in and the abusive home that I grew up in, it helped me survive and thrive and, and be the first to go to school. And not only that, get a PhD in my family and open a business. So I'm grateful for that. But I myself have rubbed people the wrong way at times and, and have needed to learn how to navigate situations, being true to myself, but also being diplomatic at times. Right. Uh, so we need to realize how these gender norms impact us. And that in of itself impacts whether we're accepted or how we deal with trauma. And we need to give ourselves a lot of self-compassion around that. Right. Oh, self-compassion is huge. Yeah. We could talk about men too, which, which we won't, but I will say this, that men, that research really does show that men have a lot more insecurities than what we acknowledge. And they are not raised, stereotypically speaking, they're not raised in a way that meets their needs for nurturing frequently. Mm -hmm. And that in of itself is a problem. But we're going to table that discussion for now. Uh, just these gender dynamics are really interesting. So women, so you asked me about women and trauma. trauma and 
you know, moving on to the solution oriented portion of this question, sure. <laughs> what are, what are you using that you're, what techniques, what things are you using generally speaking, or in a, you know, powerful way? I know some things that I've done that, you know, you know about that I've done that I have found amazing, amazing relief from amazing progress from, but you know, you work with all kinds of people. So just tell us a little bit about specifically in the women restoration, that kind of process. What, what are you working with? The Lord has recently given me, and, and I've recently come up with a name for what I'm going to be calling this and writing on, which is Hearts Returning Home. And in the process of Hearts Returning Home, we go through three steps to build this internal home from which we can launch. When we think about a home, we think about belonging. We think about security and safety. We think about the cheer song, where, you, know, you, you want to go where everyone knows your name. Right, where yeah. everyone knows you and where there's this safe place to launch from. And so in the heart's returning home process, we want to first deal with the present and then the past and then launch into a future. <laughs> and in, in phase one, we can't really delve into the past. We can't really turn around and face ourselves until we establish in the present a couple things. We need to establish safety. So if I were working with someone in my office, I would be establishing safety in our relationship, working on if there's any significant safety issues in their lives, we'd be addressing that. Certainly if there's ever any suicide, suicidal ideation, that's safety is paramount. Right. So we work on that. We also want to work on some behaviors that might be out of control. So if, if we have an eating disorder, we have a substance abuse situation, we want to begin to adapt replacement behaviors and work on what we're doing environmentally that's setting us up to go towards those behaviors. And and we want to initially start working on some of the thoughts about self. So this general this general method of working in the present to provide more safety, stability, security, making sure we're eating, we're on a good, we're eating healthy, relatively, we are sleeping, you know, we want to establish those things. Sometimes we might even address some medication Mm -hmm. needs if we're having a hard time establishing those things. So we can make some progress in that, but there are some behaviors and some stuck points, tipping points that we're not going to be able to fully resolve until we get into the trauma. Mm -hmm. But once there's enough security, stability in the present, there's still going to be pain. There's still going to be stuck points because those traumas haven't been worked on yet. Then we can go to phase two of hearts returning home, which is working with the past. Mm -hmm. And here I have several different tools in my, in my tool belt uh, with which to work on, on the past. But with all the tools we are taking, we are turning to face what has happened with a safe other or with a safe support system if they're not someone directly in my office. And we are adding in resources and we're integrating in the trauma story from a part of the brain where it's stored in that fight, flight, or freeze into integrated parts of the brain where whereby we can make meaning, whereby we can integrated in with other places of 
cognition that are not stuck, Mm -hmm. where we can integrate it in with our social neural network, which the social neural network never is in a stuck place. So Mm -hmm. that's a great, uh, even for example, when you have a trauma and you can laugh about a part of it, that is very integrative because you're integrating in two parts of the brain. So this integrative process we can do in a couple different ways. We can do it by revisiting the narrative and writing out or talking through the narrative and looking at places where unmet needs or um, unmet, unmet, let's see, unfinished responses need to be finished. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I might even, if someone with the Me Too movement, let's say, if someone was violated sexually, and they weren't able to push the person off, I might even have them stand up and push against me to feel that felt sense of mm. that, that, that impulse that needs to be completed. You know, animals in the wild, if they have been, animals in the wild don't have PTSD. Isn't that interesting? It because they deal, with, they deal with trauma. But if you see an animal in the wild that has just been captured and then maybe went into a freeze and woke up and escaped, You'll see that animal reworking that story and resu- and discharging that energy. It's, and it's, we need to. It's like that idea of like, I wish I would have do it, done it differently. It gives you the opportunity to actually finish it by doing it differently, or the way right. you envisioned or wished you would have been able to do it. That makes so much sense because it's it's closing the loop. It's giving you know finality. It's giving resolution to this over and over and over. And and one of the things that you said that I've learned along the way. And of course you do this professionally and I've only done it, received it as a, you know, a client or a patient, but that, that whole idea of things getting stuck in that fight or flight part of your brain and it just spins and spins and spins. So everything about that particular thing is highly emotional and highly, you know, uh, volatile all the time. It's on high. It's like, it just happened five minutes ago. It's just the same, the same, the same. And I think the important thing for people to realize and what I've learned is that drives so much of negative behavior. Either it drives it because you're, you're fulfilling it because that's your reality or you're trying to escape from it emotionally. And that's where I think a lot of people get into like substance abuse or, or, you know, behaviors that are risky because they just want to not have that be playing so loudly in their head or affecting things that they do. They want to heal that. But that, like you said, moving it to the thinky part of the brain so you can process and like you said, integrate it. it, It's such a simple thing. And I think people don't recognize how simple it is. And I don't mean it's not without work, but I mean, it's there. It's a mechanism. It's built into us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're getting it. You're, you've got it. And so another, another piece of that is understanding the felt sense of the body and being with that. Sometimes it's hard to be with the content in the mind and the memories. And, and with that, we can move to what we're feeling in the body, which is so key. I think many people walk around feel, believing that their head is just a, their body's just a mechanism to move their head to meetings. <laughs> right. And, but, but everything that we feel how do we know we're happy? How do we know we're sad? How do we know we're afraid? We are, it's not just that we're thinking those thoughts. We are feeling that in our body. And we need to integrate that piece in and feel the felt sense of the unresolved, unmet need or the unresolved impulse. And sometimes we can imagine ourselves, we, we could either do something physically to, to feel that sense of pushing off someone, 
or we could imagine ourselves pushing someone. We could even imagine ourselves beating the heck out of someone, and that can be very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Now, no, we cannot go out and do that. No. no. But we can imagine it, and it can give yourself a sense of completion because that is what you needed. Mm-hmm. So we can use guided imagery. We can also, I know that you're interested in uh, EMDR. We can also use EMDR as a method for moving pieces around in the brain into more integrated pieces. So I think cool. Can you, before you go into what it can do, just give people a little, a little introduction to what it is. So then they'll have a better you know, basis going forward when you describe how it works and what it can do. Sure. EMDR stands for eye movement, uh, let's see, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And with EMDR, you, your therapist will help you with moving your eyes back and forth. I actually have a light bar that I use where people follow the light back and forth. And they, there's also uh, buzzing in the ears and, um, or beeping in the ears and buzzing in the hands. And now, I want to say, when, before I learned about this, I thought, is this hooey? But it's very, very research-based. As a matter of fact, the government recommends this as one of the number one treatments for PTSD for veterans. Absolutely. So it, it, it is very research-based. With EMDR, we are, we are stimulating one side of the brain. Like, so when the light or the, the, the fingers are moving the eyes to the right side, the left side of the brain is stimulated and vice versa. While at the same time, we're having the individual process a, a, a particular traumatic memory. And what I see with EMDR sessions frequently is that the individual is going down. We start with a memory and a negative cognition and the, and the positive cognition that we would like to be there instead. We identify the felt sense in the body. Then we start the processing or the eye movement. And I notice that. So, so I let them process, I maybe will, I myself will do like 40 to 50 different uh, loops of eyes going back and forth. And then I'll stop and I'll say what comes to mind. And we're just letting them free associate. And what's interesting is I find as I do that over and over in a session, we're going down, almost cleaning out a trauma node and then coming back around to a positive integration. And if what I do, if people start to get stuck or, so I guess I might have my, a little bit, my own brand of EMDR because if the sessions, um, if I feel like we need to turn it around before the the session is over, then I might do what's called a cognitive interweave where I will suggest something that is akin to the unmet need. If it seems like we've processed a lot and they're getting stuck on a certain point anyway, but frequently they'll turn it around themselves to, wow, well, you know, my mom was there and for me in these ways, even though she didn't do this, or I am stronger now because my mom didn't give me that. Mm-hmm. And they begin to turn it around and come around to this beautiful integrated place because trauma, PTSD is basically unintegrated information. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we work with trauma using EMDR or somatic experiencing or narrative therapy, or uh, there was one other one I had in mind. But when we, when, we, when we go back and we process this material, 
oh, hypnosis. Mm-hmm. When we go back and process this material, pairing it with something else, I just think it gives the, the brain a chance to integrate. Now, that is my thought on it. Uh, and I've, I know that other people think the same way. Mm-hmm. I think if you talk to the EMDR creator or other creators, they might, they might say, it is my specific mechanism that does that. But I do think it's actually pairing the brain with another stimulus in a safe scenario that helps us work through those traumas. And, and I imagine too, just the nature of trauma, that people don't want to deal with it. Trauma is basically where you've been unsafe in so, to some degree, a little bit or a lot. Right. I mean, that's that's one of the definitions that I've studied and read. It's any time that you felt unsafe. It was a car accident. It was abuse. It was a, a parent yelling that made you scared, you know, repeatedly. And one of the things I have experienced EMDR, and I told you that before, but for the audience listening, they may not have known that I have been relentless in my pursuit of freedom for myself. I, I just don't want to be burdened by it. And I could see how things that I was brought up in environments changed sort of the trajectory of how I operated in the world. And a lot of it was because essentially I was trying to circumvent the trauma. I didn't want it to be part of me, but I still was acting and reacting to that and, and the self definition that was born from that. But I think there's that idea that the trauma is, is we kind of tuck it away in a little closet, but it's always, you know, making noise. It's scratching on the walls. It's doing things to kind of just be bothersome or really, really harmful in terms of our psyche and our, and our mental health and wellness and all of those things. And it's just so amazing to me that something so simple as, like you said, the moving your finger back and forth or using the light bar, or the sounds in your ear, that crossing over the two hemispheres of the brain and being able to just say, hey, look, oh, it's not, you know, I always use this analogy when you lay in bed at night and you see a shadow and the shadow slightly moving and you've convinced yourself completely it's an intruder. And then you summon up the courage to go turn on the light and you see it's a shirt hanging on a coat rack blowing in the air conditioning. And it's, that's sort of the difference between, you know, trauma is this big, scary thing. And then the reality is that did happen in that way. But getting it to the point where we're like, oh, it's just a shirt. You know, like we've processed those things through so that they don't have as much power over us. And I know that's not clinical definition and it could be way off off base, but sometimes I have to interpret them through those kind of lenses for myself, just from my own experience. But I definitely have had that where one of the things you were saying, and I don't know all the fancy schmancy psychological words that you used, but I had a situation with my mom where a memory of something her response to my pain caused me so much pain in the, in the current time because she didn't respond the way I needed her to respond. And through an EMDR session, we actually went back and she asked me kind of like what you said, well, what, what would you like to happen? Why don't we do that? And I was able to actually have her do and, and be nurturing and be kind and be sweet to do the thing I needed her to do. And it's so not an issue. It's so not, it's like boom, boom, gone over. So that, that is really beautiful. You just described a tool that I frequently use, whether with EMDR or without, and that is, what did you need? What did you want? And we go back and we imagine either a part of, a part of myself giving myself to that, or sometimes when I work with Christians who are open to this, we might imagine God mm-hmm. being there, giving this to me. And we get, literally... I mean, not literally, we imagine going back in time and we get 
what we didn't have. Mm -hmm. And here's what's beautiful. We know what really happened. But when we imagine ourselves getting what we didn't have, and we do that over and over, we're laying down new neural pathways that are giving us literally the felt sense of having that which we did not have. Mm -hmm. How powerful is that? It, it literally makes me cry because there's just so many people suffering who don't know about this and right. how life changing, absolutely life changing and freeing it can be when done with a person that knows what they're doing. Clearly I would not be administering those sessions uh, as much as I understand from my, my standpoint. But I think that the really important part here is that it's not hopeless. As you were saying, laying down new neural pathways, you're rewriting your brain guys. You are rewriting the old stories that you don't have to live from anymore. And that's what I really learned and what changed my life, what changed everything. I mean, everything from the core of my being out. That's when I started finally living as the woman that God created me to be, like ridiculously. And, and you said before, yeah, I'm that fighter too. And I'm a little bit, some people don't like me because I'm a little bit brash, I guess, or I don't know, bossy, opinionated. I don't know some of those words, but I just think it's, it's, um, it's fascinating to me because you're cleaning house, you're rewriting old stories, rewriting old tapes physically in your brain. You don't need drugs. You don't need to run. You can do this. It's so amazing. Oh, so amazing. Oh, it's isn't it wonderful? It really is. Isn't it wonderful? So I've come up, I've coined a term that I call self momming and I teach I love working with women who have these developmental traumas where they have had the abusive alcoholic mom or the mom with a severe mental illness and the dad who molested them or, you know, and so they did not get what they needed. Mm -hmm. They did not. And I love teaching them to develop rather than this inner critical mom mm -hmm. or this inner absent mom because they do have that. It's funny. We sometimes are mad at what our parents didn't give us, but we're actually doing it to ourselves. And we don't know any better because we've been raised to have this mere image of that put in us. Mm -hmm. So it does take work to get rid of that. It's not like, oh, I'm choosing to criticize myself all the time. It's kind of automatic. Exactly. But when we do this work of imagining what would an ideal mom do? What would, if I were my own big sister or I were my own mom, how would I treat myself? Would I give, would I have compassion for myself? And beginning to turn away from that self-rejection and developing this self-mothering mm. is so powerful. You know, psychological theory, I don't know if this was Thomas and Chess or a different group of researchers, but this theory of uh, what, what kids need growing up. Kids... The kids who turn out best have high warmth and high structure. So there's some discipline. There is some structure. There are expectations, but there's high love, high goo, and high structure. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, if we, have, if we have kids who have, this is interesting, kids who have lo, um, low love and high structure, so this is a harsh environment, right. and kids who have low love and low structure, and even kids who have high love and low structure, low discipline, all three of those groups don't turn out well. The kids that turn out best are high warmth and high structure. 
So with our own self momming, we don't, we do want to lavishly, lavishly self accept, but we also want to have some expectations of ourselves. Right. We also want to develop self, some self. I like the term self leadership better than self discipline. Mm -hmm. So I want to say we do want to develop self leadership. So we do want to like, I do need to lavishly love myself when I'm grieving, but I also need to do my job of ministering to these 20, 25 people who are coming to my house right. to be ministered to on Monday night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So self-momming. It's good. And, and it, it's, it's hard in some senses because if you would say that to me with self-fathering, uh, mm -hmm you said you like to replace that figure with God. And that's an easier thing, I think, because there is that Godhead figure of being father. Mm -hmm. And I think I warped it when I was younger because I did the opposite. I imagined that God was like, acted how my father acted and that it was punitive and that everything that I did, if I did a sideways glance or had a, you know, a bad person thought that I was getting struck down with lightning. I think I've said that before on a show, but it's my reality. That's what I thought. That was the example that I had, you know, hellfire was coming down. If you screw up, that's just basically it. So I, I like that, but then, you know, I'm sure that there's a whole component in there for you of giving people the time, giving women the time to actually conceive of what did they see in other households? Remember they felt like they wanted to be at that household because the mom was that kind of person. Oh, I want to have that. And understanding what that means to them, because for some people they're wildly independent and we all need love and nurturing, but some need it more than others. You know, I think, I think we do all need it, uh, but we need it individualized for us, exactly. a good mom and a good dad individualize that, that love and that structure for that child. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've raised kids with disabilities and the expectations are different. Exactly. How I raise, wow. I, well, I say every child has special needs. Yeah. Every person has special needs. We all need to be loved uniquely. Um, but this idea of father and God being father, I'm so glad you brought that up because I generously give folks space when I work with them to have even, even like raging resentments with God and, and, and to not use father God as a, as a ref, as a resource until that feels better because mm -hmm. we can't heal unless we're feeling safe. And even though God is safe, Sometimes we need the healing process True. to take us along a little bit before we can begin to see him as, as safe. And I've seen this beautifully unfold in my office where people sometimes will come in and say, I want Christian counseling and they, I, they have all this trauma. But as we get into it, God doesn't feel safe for them. And so we focus on what does feel safe. And over time, they begin to integrate God in in this beautiful way themselves because this beautiful healing has happened that God has provided for them and allowed for them. And he's not uptight. He doesn't need to. Yeah, he doesn't need to be like, it must be. You must you must identify me as father God, <laughs> the loving God. He's not insecure. I love that. I, it's, it's funny how much when we talk, I literally, as you're talking, pictures are being formed in my mind. And I feel like, I really feel like God's showing me what you're saying. And even before you said that part about God, I was sitting, I was watching him sit there in a session, just kind of sitting back, kicking back, just listening. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't, 
defensive. He was like, this is my boy. I love this guy. He's going through some stuff right now. And I'm, I'm just here. I'm just here. I'm just here. And it's such a good point. And sometimes I feel like everybody's, you know, I forget everybody's not like me with their relationship with God. And that's not anything other than just acknowledging a difference that so many people do have resentments towards God. And like you said, he's not safe. They have faith and they believe he is who he is, but they don't have that closeness of relationship or that trust. And that's a very good, that's a very good point to make. And I'm glad that you said that because uh, I didn't want to set people up even worse <laughs> to say like, yeah, just put God in there. Oh, but I don't like God. Oh, that's not going to work. <laughs> right. Because yeah. it's the traumas in our heart that's causing us to see through that mirror dimly. Uh, that's causing us to skew our perception of God and many other things in life. You were talking earlier about how if we put the trauma away, it's still affecting our lives. I think about it as if I had a rotten, well, right now we <laughs> We have, we went away, we've been traveling a lot this summer and we, we, we knew we had some kind of critter in our attic, but we were going to deal with it after the trip. Well, when we came back, I think the critter died mm. and we can't find it, but we smell it. That's the worst. That's the worst. And, and like that, just that analogy for the trauma that died in the attic and we can't find it, but it's stinking everything up. That's a great analogy. That is a great analogy. Exactly. Or it could be the onion in the fridge or something rotting in the fridge that we don't see, we can't find, but we sure do smell it. Mm -hmm. And we sure do want to get rid of it. And it sure is making everybody else around us <laughs> affected as well. Yeah. So you, you're so brilliant and you're so, but you have such a way of taking your br brilliance and making it absorbable for the average mind, <laughs> oh. but for the, you know, the lay person, the person that's not in your field and doesn't have your training and your, you know, all your schooling. And it's, you're just, you're so impressive on every side because your heart is so soft and tender and warm towards people who are hurting. And you've found this really amazing place of who you are and who you've grown into be and serving those who you see can make that path, that path and go on that path to that growth too. And it's just, you're such a treat. You're such a delight. And I've loved, loved our conversations before and today, of course. And I think this is a great place to kind of put a little period on it, but of course, always reserving the idea that we can have another conversation because we really do serve the same person on different levels and in different ways. And as we were talking about before, you have so much to add, so much value. And I would love to be able to do more things with you and have you on the show again and tackle more topics as questions come in. And so if you're listening to this podcast and if you have any questions for Dr. Barbara or me or together topics you want us to talk about, for sure, for sure, go to the show notes at boldbravesassyshow.com. And Dr. Barbara is going to be there. <clears throat> She'll be there with... <clears throat> I'll have all of her links there. She does have something. I, I'll give you a chance to mention it. You had something that you wanted people to check out. Yes. So I have a free gift for listeners uh, if they're interested, which is a, a book on self-care that I've written. And it is not your average take on self-care. It is more psychological. Uh, so it's not just about sleep and eating. <laughs> And that is at uh, com forward slash self-care. So oh, I'd be perfect. happy. Yeah. Well, I want to get that book. 
<laughs> I'm going to be grabbing that right away. I'm going to have a head start since we're recording this before this actually goes out. <laughs> so, you know, and go ahead. I thank you so much for all the accolades, but honestly, I, I don't strive to be much more than average. And I love that. I used to strive to be perfect. I used to strive to have this amazing image. And I think the more I've come along and, and grown up and healed, I just, it's okay to be average and it's okay to be flawed and fabulous. It's okay to be average and have superpowers. And, and we all have superpowers. And I do want to encourage your listeners to heal to love yourself, to heal, to uh, deal with things you need to deal with, and to launch into what you have been put on this earth to do because we need you. We need you. We really it. do. We need you. Absolutely. You and I are not enough. We need them too. We need all of us doing what we need to do. Exactly. There's missing parts if you're not doing what God created you to do. There's a, a missing link in the chain. So be sure and be doing that. So Dr. Barbara, again, thank you so much for being here. We will have more conversations in the future. And this is Annie Berryhill. And I want to thank you, the listener who has tuned into this show to listen to us talk about this very, very important topic. And I hope you hung with us the whole time, even though at times it might've been a little bit uncomfortable. This show is all about helping you to get to that new place, that place of where you've always wanted to be in your life and who you wanted to be and live from that powerful, confident place and walk into the destiny that God's designed for you. So thank you so much for listening to the Bold, Brave, and Sassy show. If you've not already subscribed, please do so on your favorite apps. Mine is iTunes. That seems to be the winner if I look at all my numbers iTunes is super easy. And if you would leave a review, leave a comment, you can always ask questions on the show notes page. And I love that you listen. And if there's anything that you want us to tackle in the future, I'd love to hear from you. So for now, this is Annie Berryhill signing off from the Bold, Brave, and Sassy Show. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>